Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So this morning, we are starting our brand new series, Good News. How many of you love good news? I, I, t- I tell you what, it would be my preference to have good news over bad news. Right? I mean, maybe you're there with me. I think back to the day when I asked Lauren to marry me, and it's a day I remember vividly because I was nervous out of my mind the whole day, and it had been a crazy day. I got up that morning, drove to my in-laws, and I asked my father for permission to marry his daughter because, yes, I'm old-fashioned, and it's a good practice nonetheless, right? So I asked him for his permission. He said yes, and he said, when do you plan on doing it? And I said, well, today. And so he said, okay. And I was like, you know, no time like the present. So then we go, and, and I've thought through this going, man, you know, we get there to the moment and I felt pretty confident. I knew what she was going to say, but there's always that slim chance that it doesn't go according to plan. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so I finally get to the moment and I get down on one knee and I ask her to marry me. And she says to me, shut up. <laughs> and doesn't then respond beyond that. She just literally goes, shut up, shut up. And I'm like, is that like a good shut up? Or uh, let me think about it. Like, where are we at in this? And finally she's like, yes, yes. You know, but there was that glimmer of that moment in time where I was going, oh no, I've totally misunderstood every conversation we've had prior to this when she said, yes, we should get married. Right? Like I was thinking, I thought she meant like married. Apparently I, you know, so it was that split second where you're going, I'm already scared out of my mind. Can you please give me more than shut up? Like, could you this be right? And so you have that, that moment where you play it back and forth and you're like, what is happening? So finally she said yes. And all of a sudden it became this great day and a moment that I'll remember forever. But we enjoy good news uh, far more than bad news, right? I have a friend of mine that he graduated from college. And so here's what I mean by graduated is that he got to walk across the stage, but they told him, Hey, we're going to let you walk, but you failed a class. And so we're gonna let you walk, but you're not really graduating uh, or graduated until you go back and retake that class. That's bad news, right? You go, Oh, last semester. And it was a sad thing is, is it was like a freshman level course that he really didn't care to do. And you know who he is. And I will tell you, I'll say it later because other people in the room know who he is also. And it wouldn't be fair to Donnie Twyford for me to throw his name out like that. But good news is fun, right? I remember a day when Lauren surprised me and it was like, hey, we're going out of town today. And I was going, what do you mean we're going out of town today? I had done no planning. I hadn't done any packing, which I don't do a lot of packing anyways. But you know, there's a lot of different things that I was like, man, what are we... Well, are you serious? And she surprised me, right? That's, a good, that's good news. And all of a sudden, we were gone, and we were headed to this bed and breakfast. It was awesome, right? And it was just this surprise by good news. We love good news. And so as we get into this Christmas season, I want to take time over these next few weeks to walk through the stories of a few that received good news straight from either from, from an angel or through a dream or whatever it may be. And we want to walk through those and see how did they respond to good news. I know whenever I get good news, I, I'm not always... So Lauren has this thing that, that if, if you want a reaction in our family from a good gift, don't give it to me. Because I'll be like, oh, cool, thanks. But if you want like a big reaction, you give it to Lauren. She's like, oh my word, 
right? And so, so we're going to talk through the different responses to, to the good news that was received and how some responded and how others responded. And we're going to compare some of those today. And so this morning, as we get started, I want to look at, uh, uh, from Luke chapter one, I want to look at uh, Zechariah and, and Mary, who both receive a word straight from an angel there in the presence before them and compare the differences between them and see how one responds to the other. So if you're ready, we're going to jump in, starting in verse 5 in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And we're going to read a pretty good portion of Scripture here. Uh, So just bear with me as we get through all of this, because we have to set up what we're talking through today. So it says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, which is a tall order if you know kind of at this point where we are with the law. And if you've read Leviticus, you go, how in the world? So anyways, okay. So they were, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So she just gave this huge thing, right? This is an incredible, this is exciting, good news, right? If you've prayed for a son, this is good news. And so then Zechariah says this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. That was a nice way of saying, and my wife is too. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So there's some very interesting things that we need to talk through as we look at how Zechariah responds to the good news. And then we'll get to Mary in a minute, but but there's some interesting things that are kind of intriguing and and, and maybe a little eye-opening as we walk through this. And so the first thing is this, we have to first lay down the simple fact that he was a faithful priest. Zechariah was faithful. Uh, He and Elizabeth were both faithful to the Lord. And verse six says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
We see him here in this moment. He's in the temple when the angel appears to him. He is, so, so the priests, if you, you can read it in, in, in Second Chronicles, but the, the priests were divided into these 24 courses. So they had these different groups, right? And so he's in this group and, and they would serve uh, as, as priests for two weeks out of the year in kind of this rotation, right? And so it was his two-week time. And in that time, they, they would pick one. One would be chosen by casting lots to burn incense in the temple. Now, it would be understood that the priest that was burning incense, that would be a once in a lifetime honor. This is a big deal. If you're a priest, this is a huge honor. This is your moment to be the one who gets to go and burn incense before the Lord. And so his, his number is drawn or whatever they did to cast the lots. I don't know if they spun the dreidel or what. I don't know. So, so he becomes the one to burn incense. Thank you for laughing at that. I appreciate that. And so he goes in and he's burning incense in this moment. So he's there. And so they would burn in the morning before the morning sacrifices. And then again in the afternoon around three o'clock. And so study says that this was probably in the afternoon when the worshipers had gathered because most of them weren't getting up early, early, early to come in and worship. So the worshipers had gathered at this moment and they're all outside and they're praying. So we're talking about the three in the afternoon. He is in the temple and he is burning the incense. And it is, you know, it's this big moment for him that, that he was the one chosen to do this. And in that moment is when the angel appears to him. But we see and we know that, that, that he is a faithful man because it says he was righteous. He kept the law. He was blameless and, and, and he followed the law, which was not easy to do if you study the law in, in, in depth. And there are so many different things that you could accidentally do to break the law and to then be you know, sinful and, and all this stuff. So he's considered righteous. The Lord sees him as righteous. And we see all of this and, and we find that he was a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. And so the, the angel says, your prayers have been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And so this is a moment where, where he has been praying and seeking and asking the Lord, asking the Lord for a son. And I would imagine that it wasn't a one-time thing. He's very old at this point. His wife is old as well. He's saying, I'm old. Elizabeth is old. You know, it, so this has been an ongoing, long-term thing. And maybe at this point, he's kind of stopped praying. I don't know. We, we, we can only speculate on these things. Maybe he's going, man, I've been praying for so long. It's, it's never going to happen. We don't, we don't know the ins and outs, but we know that he was a man of prayer. And as a priest, it's not as if he was never at the temple or as if this would have been a, a, a last-ditch effort of some sort to see a son born. But it would have been something that was a part of his, his, his constant daily routine where he would go to the temple and pray. And so I'm imagining that, that, that Zechariah was constantly asking the Lord for a son, not just for himself, but for his wife to have a child, because it, historically and culturally in that time, not having a child made you viewed as less of a woman and so his heart's breaking also for his wife. And he's seeing all this. He says, I'm going to pray and believe God and ask God for a son. Because he knows at this point, the only way we're having a child is by the grace of God and by a miraculous move of the spirit in, in their lives that, that the Lord would then provide a son. So he's praying to the Lord, say, give me a son. He was faithful. And because of his faithfulness, the Lord hears him. Because of his faithfulness, God turns to him. How many times have we gone to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, I, I need this, I need this, I want this, I need that. Can you do this? Can you do that? And, and then yet we then turn and we deny the very existence of Christ through the way we live. And he's saying, if, if, the Lord's going, if you want me to respond to you, I, I, you, you need to live faithfully for me. 
And now there are other times in scripture where we see this. Yes, does the Lord hear our cry? Does and a desperate cry in a moment of faith? Yes, he will respond. But, but a lot of times when this is continual, constant, over and over, the Lord's going, continue to be, be faithful to me. Be faithful to me. I'll be faithful to you. The Lord is faithful. But sometimes we see here, Zechariah was faithful and in turn, the Lord was faithful to him. And he returned, he responds to him and he says, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer. But what we see with Zechariah is, is that his heart is a heart of unbelief in the moment. This man of faith, this faithful priest who has, has worked for the Lord, served for the Lord, given his life to the temple and the work of the temple and the, the work of the Lord. He's given all that he is to the very God he has prayed to. And then when the Lord sends an angel to respond to him, his response is in unbelief. It's in unbelief. And we read it and he says this, he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The second thing is this, he was a faithless priest. He was a faithful priest. He was a faithless priest. How many times have we done that though in our, in our own lives where we go, I'm gonna go to the Lord, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask God, I'm gonna believe the Lord for this. And in the moment we go, yes, this is gonna happen. And then we get up and we walk away and we go, but I don't see how it could happen. And you... If there's anything that I've learned is this, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews tells us that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we do it all the time. And we don't necessarily do it in the sense of, oh, God could never do it. I'm going to pray, but God can't do it. I'm going to pray, but if God answers, then there's no way I'm going to believe it. But we do it sometimes simply through our reactions. When God does do something, we go, are you kidding me? The Lord showed up and did something, right? We get shocked sometimes and the Lord answers a prayer. He, he answers a prayer. We go to the Lord, we pray. And then the Lord responds, he answers. And all of a sudden we go, I just cannot believe it. And it shouldn't be that way. If, if we are willing to accept the fact that a good earthly father of a child is willing to provide and to shelter and to care for his children, and we don't think anything of it, we just think, well, that's how it should be. And if it's not happening that way, we need to remove those children from that situation and place them in a home where it should be. If that's what we expect from earthly fathers, why should we expect anything different or less from our heavenly fathers? So in this moment, when Zechariah has prayed and prayed and he's asked for a son, and my imagining, and my, my thought would be, that he has passionately pursued the Lord in this and asked for this. This is no small thing he's asked for. And he's prayed and he's asked God, oh God, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son. We, we want a son. And then when the Lord shows up and responds, he goes, there's no way. Think about that. My, my thought is, he says, how can I be sure of this? And I'm gonna be like, because there's an angel sitting next to you. Are you dumb? Pay attention this glowing image with wings, right? This thing here just holds you, you're having a son. And you go, well, now I'm pretty old. And what the Lord looks at that as and says, he says, how dare you limit my ability? How dare you place what I'm able to do inside of your thinking, inside of your box that says, God can't do this because... And the Lord is saying, shift your mindset, shake up your faith a little bit and believe what you're asking for. So when the Lord comes and then the angel appears and he says, how can I be sure of this? The angel then, Gabriel becomes indignant and I love it. 
And I'm like, if there's ever a moment for some righteous indignation, it's in that moment. Because I'm, Gabriel goes, I, I'm Gabriel. I sit at, in front of the Lord. I stand before God. And you're going to question what I have. I'm sitting here by him to tell you this. And now you're going to question. And because of your unbelief, I love that he says it. He says, because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. You can't even share the moment with anybody now. He has to keep it concealed and keep it quiet. He walks out of the temple. And who does he get to tell about the encounter he just had with an angel? Nobody, because of his unbelief. And so we see a man who is a faithful priest and he's at the temple and he prays to the Lord and he does what he needs to do. And he walks through the the routine of the religion and yet he walks without the faith of it. And we see his response is faithless and unbelief. And the Lord comes to answer his prayer. And he responds with, there's no way you could do that. And God's saying, you want to see me get upset? Walk in a little unbelief. Let me throw it right back at you. This whole experience you just had, you can't tell anybody until this child's born. Sometimes I get way ahead of my notes and I forget to scroll while I'm walking. Let's contrast that, though, a little bit with with Mary. We'll skip down to verse 26 in in Luke chapter 1. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never And now hear this, Mary says this, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. So there he's affirming his, his uh, humanity and his deity. And that's not for today. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. There's a few things here that we need to look at. The first thing is, is her surprise. Could you imagine being a young girl, probably 15, 16 is what a lot of people say, maybe even 14, pledged to be married. So she's engaged to a man, which would be the equivalent almost of marriage during that time, uh, minus the fact that they, they had not fully uh, become married, right? But it would take a, a legal document, almost an act of divorce to, to end this uh, relationship at this point, right? So she's this young girl. She's never been with a man. She's a virgin. And the Lord says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And her response is, how can this be? Which would seem parallel a little bit with Zechariah and what, what his response is. But here's what we know is that God looks at the heart 
And man looks at the outward appearance, right? We, we can look at things on the surface. We can look at them just right there and go, well, then why didn't the angel shut Mary's mouth? Because she was asking out of simple, like, uh, hi, this is all coming to me fresh and new. I had no desire for a baby yet. Uh, I'm not with a man yet. And I haven't been with a man. So literally tell me how this is going to happen. Not a sense of, I don't believe this can happen, but literally asking how, right? So there's the, there's the partial difference. Could you imagine this? Zechariah had prayed for and asked for a son, right? Mary is not having this conversation. The Lord didn't come to her and the angel didn't say, uh, the Lord has heard your request to be the mother of the Messiah. And you're, no, no, this, this, is not, this isn't the conversation that has happened. This is simply a shock to the system, a surprise moment. And, and, and here's, here's what we see is that Mary didn't think of herself as higher than or as greater than any other person. Otherwise, you know, she didn't go, well, the Lord has already told me that I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah and I'm just waiting on the right moment. And when it happens, I'll be able to walk in that. Because if we would have seen that, she would have been like to, to Gabriel, oh, hey, what took you so long? Or I've been waiting for some time now. Um, what, what have you been doing? Right? We don't see that. We see Mary sitting there going quite confused by the greeting. She's going, um, excuse me? Um, I've found favor with the Lord. That's great. Um, you're an angel and I'm just, I'm a handmaid and I'm not sure why you're speaking to me in this moment right now. See, Mary was, was, was nobody special in the sense of the way we would view somebody to be special. She was nobody great. She's not deity in the sense that the David is no longer on the throne. So her, her, you know, her ancestry doesn't give her anything at this moment. She is a lowly handmaid and she is doing her, probably her daily routine of things. I heard one kid say, oh, she was doing laundry, right? We don't know what she was doing. We just know that the angel appeared. Laundry sounds like a logical idea though. We'll just roll with it. Because every depiction I've ever seen of Mary in the moment, she's hanging something on a line, right? So the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a dream and said she was hanging up laundry. That didn't happen. Could you imagine the surprise of being this young girl who is now pledged to be married, has not been with a man yet, and the Lord says, you're going to have a baby. Hold on just a second. Do you know what that means for me? Do you know what you're asking me to have to walk through? Do you know what you're asking me to do in this moment? And, and, and she's just completely surprised. How many of you love when, when you have a good surprise? You know what I'm saying? A good surprise. This never happens. This is a deal, right? You get a call from the credit card company. They're like, hey, just wanted you to know uh, we, we were wrong and we overcharged you $1,000 and we're sending you money. Wouldn't that be a great surprise? It's not going to happen, especially this time of year as we get to Christmas. And they're like, just keep on spending. Keep up. We'll get you later. Keep on, right? So you have that deal, right? So those kind of surprises are really great. You get these good surprises where it's like, oh my word, you just won a million dollars. I didn't even try. Like I wasn't even trying to win a million dollars and I just wanted, you know, that would be a great surprise. That would be a good surprise. But to be a young virgin who is not married yet to have somebody come and say, congratulations, you're going to have a baby would not necessarily be a great surprise. It would be a, hi, we've just completely ruined your life would be the initial immediate thought. You are now going to be looked down upon. You're going to now be cast out because now you're going to be looked at as, as, a, as a young uh, a woman who is uh, out with men and doing all these things and unfaithful to, even to Joseph. And in fact, it even says Joseph had it in his mind to divorce her. So she's just said, okay, the Lord just basically said, I have chosen you to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and, but... It's not going to be easy. 
It's not going to be easy. She didn't seek this out. And the Lord says, I have found favor in you. You are, 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 are this righteous young woman. I have found favor in you. Think of the surprise. And the fourth thing is this, her surrender. Her surrender. And she handles it with grace, with complete trust in the Lord. Verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And if we look at Zechariah in verse 18, he says, how can I be sure of this? Like I said, on the surface, it would seem like Mary's walking in unbelief. On the surface, it would look like she is right there with Zechariah going, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. But again, God looks at the heart. He sees the heart of her question. He doesn't see it as unbelief, but simply as intrigue. And going, can you please really truly explain it to me? I want to know. And not in a sense of there's no possible way you could ever do this. I've had moments in my own life when, when I've walked away from prayer, from moments going, okay, I feel like God said he's going to come through on this, but I don't know how he's going to do it. Have you had those moments where you go, man, I'm trusting the Lord. I know God's going to make a way, but I couldn't tell you how he's going to make a way. And we've had those moments, Lauren and I, especially when we were first married and we were just flat broke. We had nothing, right? And we just found ourselves in position time and time again, just trusting in the Lord and then God providing again and again and again. And you go, I didn't know how this was going to happen. I didn't see this happening. I didn't see the blessing of the Lord coming in this way. And what we found was that we never went without a meal. We never went with, and bills were paid and things would happen because of the Lord's provision and his blessing. We didn't understand it. We didn't know where it was coming from, yet we just said, God, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. Have you had those moments in your life where you say, you know what? I know the Lord has called me to step out and the Lord is challenging me to trust him. He has come to me and he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is, you know, you have those moments. And if you've ever been in a service where there's the, the spirit is moving and, and the gift of prophecy is working and somebody comes and speaks prophetically over you and you go, okay, I, I, tr- I hear what you're saying and I believe you and that was right, but I don't know how that's gonna happen. I don't know how we're going to get from point A to point B. And I just have to trust the Lord and know that God is speaking and he's leading, right? This is kind of one of those moments where the angel appears and says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's going, okay, I trust you, but how? How is this going to happen? And then her complete surrender. She says, I am the Lord's servant. If we could learn to walk in an attitude of service to the Lord, no matter what it means for us, no matter what it costs us, no matter what we will be up against, no matter what it may do to our reputation, maybe what it would do to our business, what it would do in our home and in our family. If we just say, you know what, at all th- in all things, I'm gonna be a servant of the Lord. And Mary in this moment, knowing everything that was gonna happen to her, knowing everything that she would have to walk through, she was aware, she knew what, was, what she was up against. And, and, and then it even says that she goes and stays with Elizabeth. And part of me wonders if it was just so that she could kind of get away from everybody and all of the words being said and the things that were being tossed around or to hide a little bit until, until things got further along. You know, she just says, I know what I'm about to walk through. And she says, yet I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word in me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
What would happen if we started walking with Mary's attitude? What would our world look like on a day-to-day? And personally, what would our personal world look like if we walked day-to-day with the attitude of the servant of the Lord? If we walked with the understanding that we want the word of God and our life to be fulfilled in complete surrender. How would that change your world? How would that change your day-to-day? How would that change your moment-to-moment if we just said, God, I want you to speak and I just want to be obedient. I want you to speak and I want to be obedient. No questions asked, except for maybe, hey, how is this going to happen? But not in the sense of there's no way you can do this, but in the, you know, just going, hey, I, I like information. My, you, you take Myers-Briggs with me, you're going to find out that Ryan likes a lot of information. And so I, I would probably be right there with Mary going, okay, yes, that's great. I believe you. I believe you. Hear me. I believe you. Please don't shut my mouth. Um, how? Right? That would be me. But if we could learn to walk in complete surrender, if we could learn to walk with the Lord, just like Mary did and say, I'm going to trust the Lord in all things. And what I love is that, that Mary, she, she has this moment where she responds to the Lord. And in verse 46, and we'll just read just portion of it. She, has a, she sings this song and it goes on longer than what I have. And Mary said, and this is, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is after the moment she's gone to see Elizabeth and then Elizabeth says that, that the baby leapt and was filled with the spirit in her womb in that, in that moment, just as the angel had prophesied and said that the, the child would be filled with the Holy Spirit before it was born, right? And so we see Mary walks in, the, the, the baby leaps, and Eliz, Elizabeth is just ecstatic going, oh my goodness, the baby just leapt. And she's like, you are the mother of the Messiah. Like this crazy cool moment just happens. And Mary's response in all of this is, holy is the name of the Lord. Holy is the name of the Lord. If there's anything that I talk about, quite often here is that it's not about us. It's simply about the name of the Lord being magnified. All that he does for us, all that he does in us and through us is all so that his name will be glorified. Does he love us deeply, passionately, madly loves us, but it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. And Mary understood that. She walked in humility and said that holy is the name of the Lord because it's not about us. It was always about what the Lord wants to do in us and through us. It was always about what God wants to accomplish and do. My prayer today is that we receive the good news that our Savior is born the way that Mary responded, just simply with an attitude of, I am the Lord's servant. May the word to me be fulfilled. I'll invite the worship team. Here's what I know and and, and I'm still learning in all this is that God is faithful. God is faithful and God wants to do things in our hearts and in our lives that sometimes we don't understand and sometimes we can't fully grasp and we can't fully wrap our minds around. But I know this, that, that the Lord wants to work and move in our hearts and our lives. And I know that the very first step in all of that is simply recognition and surrender to the word of the Lord. And surrendering to what what, what he has for us, first and foremost, the reason why he sent his son was for our salvation. The reason why the story of the birth of a child is in 
the word of God is because he was sent for our salvation. He was sent so that he could live his life in such a way that he could be blameless and spotless so that he could be the lamb taken to the cross, carried on our behalf to the cross and nailed there, carrying the weight of our sin and dying for our sin. But he didn't stay there. They laid him in the tomb and three days later he rose from the dead. That is why Christmas is significant. The birth is significant because of his death and resurrection. And Mary took on the weight of being the mother of the Messiah with grace and with dignity and said, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever God wants for me to do, I will do it. That's a huge task. That's a huge order to say, not only do you have to, to carry the shame of being an, an unwed, you know, pregnant young girl, but then you have to, the, the, the heaviness and the weight of saying, now you're responsible for raising and caring for the Messiah. Think about that for a moment. Whether or not there was any pressure placed by God on her to do so, I guarantee you that there are those moments when she was placing it on herself of so going, I can't get this wrong. I can't get this wrong. And the Lord's going, no, you, you literally, you can't get it wrong. I've got you. It's okay, right? And trusting that as we step out in faith and we are obedient to the Lord, that he will make a way and he will carry us through and he will provide. But all of it stems from the fact that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Every one of us are sinners. Which we are. Romans tells us that clearly. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what is sin? Sin is what separates us from the glory of God. Sin is that divide. It's that wall that goes up where the Lord says, I can't be where sin is. And so until that is cleared up, we cannot be reunited to the Father, right? He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, this baby that was born, but this good news that was brought because he died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the devil, giving us freedom and and victory that we can walk in. And when we place our trust in him, receive him as our savior, that wall of sin, that divide between us and the father is gone. And we can walk in relationship with him the way it was intended to be in the first place, the way God created it to be in the first place. And it's all through his son, through this baby that was brought, this baby that was sent to us. That's why Christmas is important we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior. The birth of our Savior. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.